All right, guys, we have been in this book of James for the past several months, and we're going to be closing out the book this morning. And I don't know how you've been feeling as we've been walking through the book, but as I've been talking to some of you, I think one common feeling has been that the book of James has been building tension in all of our hearts. And that's because there is this high moral standard that James is calling us to, which he's called true religion. So he's called us to take care of orphans and widows and their affliction and to live with joy in the midst of suffering and to use our words in a certain way. And, and we've left each week feeling convicted. And what we find in the book of James in this tension is actually not just the tension of James, but the tension of all of Christianity. And that's, what am I supposed to do with the high standard? And so there's a few options that you can take for what to do with the high standard. One of those options is just to try really hard. It's like the religious option. I'm just going to grit my teeth and try as hard as I can to do what James says. The other option is to look at the standard, to feel like you never measure up, and to run away, to run into pleasure, to run to relationships, to run to a life of self-indulgence and luxury, or to love money. And what James proposes to us to close out the book is that instead of running away from the moral standard or trying really hard to keep it, that we should pray. That the answer is to live a life of relationship with Jesus, of abiding with him in an intimate relationship. So this morning, kind of the big idea that's going to pull everything together is that true religion, true Christianity, is sustained by believing prayer. And we're going to see three reasons to pray. The first reason to pray is the necessity of prayer. So we're in James chapter 5. We're starting with verse 13. We're just going to read a couple verses at a time. So verses 13 through 14 say this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of of the Lord. Now, one really common phrase in our cultural vernacular that's been getting a lot of heat lately is the phrase thoughts and prayers. You may have gotten thoughts and prayers in a text message. You've definitely seen it on social media. You've seen it in articles. You've seen it in response to tragedies in our society. And I think rightly so, we feel this sort of visceral reaction to thoughts and prayers because we know that there will be thoughts, but there probably won't be prayers. And that becomes an excuse for not doing anything. James is not saying, hey guys, I know I've given you a lot of hard moral commands, thoughts and prayers, good luck. What he's saying is, 
True prayer is necessary to obey. It's the fuel for obedience. So he's saying you're feeling this tension in all of these different scenarios in your life. So he gives three different scenarios, but I think he's giving these three different scenarios not limiting us to prayer when we're suffering or when we're cheerful or when we're sick, but he's saying something similar to what Paul says where he says, pray continually, pray without ceasing. So he says, you're suffering, okay? This word suffering, it means deeply troubled. You're deeply troubled about anything. Don't run away from your trouble. Don't try really hard to grit your teeth and get through it. Engage in relationship with God. See, prayer is not telling God what we think he wants to hear, sort of cleaning up our act and coming to God sort of with a facade, but it's telling him about what's really going on in our lives. James is saying you're deeply troubled. Tell God how you really feel about the suffering that you're going through. Come to him in prayer. He says you're cheerful. You're happy. Things are going well in your life. He's saying, don't think that whatever is bringing you happiness is an end of itself. But instead, come to God and thank him. It's been said that one of the saddest things about atheism is that you see a sunrise or a sunset or you look at a beautiful mountain. You see its beauty, but you have no one to thank for it. James is saying, as Christians, we have someone to thank for it. Even if you're alone seeing the mountain, you're never alone because God is with you and your praise will be completed in prayer just by simply saying thank you to God. You're sick. Your temptation is going to be to sink into depression, to begin to doubt God's love for you, he says, instead, pray. Call the elders of the church. Have them pray for you. Even when you don't have strength to pray for yourself, call in the church leaders. Ask them to pray for you. And what undergirds all of these exhortations from James about prayer is that he believes there is someone who is more real than any circumstance that you can be in. That God is really there. That he really cares. That he is not so transcendent to not be involved in human affairs, but he is both transcendent and intimate. And we know this because Jesus became flesh, made his dwelling among us. He was James's own brother. And he says that we can bring our requests to God no matter what we're walking through. I wonder, even for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, if you've ever really prayed. And here's what I mean by that. Have you moved past 
this fake relationship with God into really telling him what's going on in your life. Sharing the worst of times and the best of times with him. I think it was around my sophomore year of college that I kind of stumbled into true prayer by accident. And it was because I was struggling with homesickness. I was overwhelmed with the things that were going on in my life. Felt like some friendships were falling apart. I just remember sitting in my dorm room, just being completely at the end of myself. And so I started this practice of going out at night, and there was this walking path behind my dorm that led to Central Campus. And I would go out on that walking path, and I would talk to God by myself about what was really going on in my life. And most of the time, at that point, it was ugly. And I remember just going to the central campus and, and trying not to look too crazy, right? But like, I, I remember like kicking trees, just being so upset. Why did you make me like this, God? Why did you bring me to this place? My life is miserable. And do you know what I discovered? God can handle it. His shoulders are big enough to handle my burdens. And I discovered that on the other side of true prayer was a loving God. And what I needed was not for him to take away the pain from my life, but to show me himself. And I began to see that suffering was not an occasion to run away from God or an excuse to distance myself from God, but suffering was the very avenue into the presence of God. Have you prayed? Have you seen in your life, by experience, that what you need most deeply is God himself? Okay, so here's where we begin to stumble. We can intellectually agree that prayer is a good thing. And we can think that we've engaged in prayer, but what we really uh, do when we pray is we treat God like he's like our senile grandpa. Like, it's nice to have you in the room, God, but you really aren't any good. You can't do anything for me anymore. So we think that God is present but not powerful. And what James wants to exhort us of next is the power of prayer. He doesn't just say that prayer is necessary. He says that prayer is powerful. It does something when we engage in it. Verses 14 through 18. I'm going to read 14 again through verse 18. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, 
It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So basically, there are three sections in this paragraph which each explain to us the power of prayer. Specifically, we're to think differently about church leaders, church members, and ourselves. So let me start with the most difficult part of the passage, church leaders. In this section, he says, if you're sick, you're to call the elders of the church. They're to anoint you with oil. And if you do that, he says you are to expect both physical and spiritual healing. You're to expect that if you're so sick that you're unable to join the church gathering, if you're laying in bed, that if you call the elders of the church and they pray for you, that you will be raised up from your bed. And that if you have unconfessed sin, that you will be forgiven. So here's what happens at this point. People trip up over this. Because what seems to be happening here is James seems to be giving an absolute promise. And so there can be this whole teaching that gets off the rails that says, because it seems to be an absolute promise, that means that if you pray for someone who is sick, or someone prays for you when you're sick, and this doesn't happen, it means that you didn't have enough faith. And so there can be a lot of people walking around depressed because they think that they're not fully in on being a child of God because God doesn't answer their prayers this way. And so what is supposed to push us toward believing in the power of prayer actually makes us shrink back and be afraid to pray. So there's at least four reasons that I believe that this interpretation of the text is wrong. Okay, reason number one, the elders are called to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elders come, they're called by the person who is sick, they're to anoint the person with oil and pray in the name of the Lord. This is really important. When we ask God for healing, he is still Lord. In other words, we can't manipulate God into doing exactly what we want him to do when we want him to do it. We always pray, if it is your will. And we believe that God's will is always superior to our will. That it is better to ask God for something and have him say no than to have him give us exactly what we want in that moment. So they're to pray in the name of the Lord, not to pray as if they are Lord. Okay, second thing. The prayer of faith, which is mentioned in verse 15, 
seems to be a unique outpouring of God's spirit to heal. So that definite article, the, is meant to set apart this prayer of faith as this unique experience by the elders of the church when they come to the bedside of a sick person and anoint them with oil and they get this clarity and this spiritual power that that person will be raised up. The prayer of faith is not something always experienced by church leaders next to the bedside of sick sick people. But when the prayer of faith is experienced, amazing things happen. So what we should expect when we call the leaders of the church to pray for us when we're sick is that it's possible that God will raise us up out of the bed. But we should not demand that it happen or rest our faith on it happening. Okay, third reason I don't think that this is normative in the church is because the whole teaching of the Bible would indicate that sometimes God chooses to heal and sometimes God chooses not to heal. There are instances where apostles are praying for themselves or others and those people are not healed. Jesus himself asks God that he would remove the cross and its suffering from him, and God says no. If God says no to the Son of God, then we cannot expect that he will always say yes to us. And then fourthly, our own personal experience. For those of us who have prayed for physical healing for ourselves or for others, had the church leaders come and pray for us for physical healing or pray for others for physical healing, we know that sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no. And in the end, this is really important, God always says no because everybody always dies. So for those four reasons, we're not a faith-healing church, but we are a believing church. So we believe this passage. We believe that Jesus is alive and that he heals people and he is still at work. And so if you're sick, call the leaders of the church, have us anoint you with oil, and expect God to raise you up out of your bed. I was talking to one of my buddies on the phone about this passage this week. He's a leader at a church in Iowa City, and he told me a story about how there was a gal in his church who was struggling deeply with postpartum depression. She was incapacitated. She had never struggled with suicidal thoughts before. She was struggling with suicidal thoughts. She was thinking about killing her own child. I mean, it was this deep anxiety. She had been in this hole. The elders of the church caught wind of it, and encouraged her to call them to come to anoint her with oil and to pray for her. So they did. They came, they anointed her with oil, they prayed with her. She didn't feel any different when they were in the room, but a couple days later, her depression was gone. Gone. 
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He answers prayer. If you're sick, call the leaders of the church. Have them anoint you with oil. Why oil? I think it's the same reason that we use water in baptism. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. It's a symbol. But it's like, would you be willing to do something this ridiculous because God told you to? And I think that the ridiculousness of it corresponds with the faith it takes to actually walk forward in obedience to God. He's asking us to do something that is super rational. What I mean that is it exceeds rationality and moves us into this place of faith where we say, God is smarter than me. I don't understand, but I believe. Okay, is this, at this point, is this meant to make us say, okay, church leaders are endowed with this certain spiritual power. They're sort of like the spiritual bigwigs, and they're the only ones who have God's ear. So we got to call in the church leaders. That's not the application for the church. If you look at the paragraph that we just read, the next word after this section is the word therefore. So here's the application for all of us. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he moves from church leaders to church members. Here's what he's saying. As the normal practice in our church when it comes to prayer, we should be people who confess our sins to one another. Not confess your sins to the priest or confess your sins to a pastor or confess your sins to a church leader, but confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. What's he saying? There's this intimate connection between sin problems and sickness problems. Sometimes our sin causes our sickness. There's not a direct correlation between the two, but sometimes God has brought sickness into our life so that we will confess sin, which is the deeper issue in our lives. So he's saying you're sick or you're in sin, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other that you may be healed. See, the spiritual power isn't in the church leaders, and it's not in the church members, it's in God himself. So we all have access to God through the shed blood of Jesus, and everything is offered to all of us, including the power to heal. Are we praying supernatural prayers for one another in our connection group? Are we confessing our sins to each other? I think what James is saying is, I want to make sure that you guys in your churches are keeping Christianity weird. Just keep it weird, guys. Pray for each other. Ask God for incredible things. Expect him to be at work. 
And don't be disappointed when he's not, because he is still Lord. I remember one time I was helping lead our college ministry, Salt Company, in Iowa City. And there was a student who was having some abdominal pain. He was working concessions at a football game. That's what we did to raise money. He's having some abdominal pain. And he thought that he was having like appendicitis. So he went to the doctor thinking, I got to get my appendix removed. Pretty standard procedure. Quickly finds out that as a 20-year-old kid, he has stage four cancer. And I was at the hospital as his parents were figuring this out. And there were a bunch of just ordinary college students who, who kept coming to the hospital as they were hearing about this, and they were gathering in the, the waiting area, and somebody had a guitar, and people were singing, and they were just going back and forth from singing to prayer, singing to prayer, singing to prayer, singing to prayer. And they were asking God, would you heal our friend? Would this not be a story where he dies at a young age? And guys, these ordinary college students who are struggling with all the same things that you guys are struggling with, God heard their prayers and healed their friend. See, it's not just church leaders, it's church members, it's ordinary people. God wants us to bring our real requests to him. And sometimes the most pressing thing for us is this area of sickness. And so James finally kind of goes from leaders to members, and then he wants us to think about ourselves. And he introduces this topic by reminding us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Here's how we can tend to read the Old Testament. You look at a guy like Elijah. He's this famous prophet. God does all these amazing things through him. And we can think God listened to him because he was this highly spiritual Bible guy. He's like a hero of the Old Testament. And James says, don't think about Elijah that way. Think Elijah was just like me. And do you know what happened with Elijah? He prayed fervently to God that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and it rained. And what you're supposed to think is prayer works. But here's the amazing insight that James has for us. Prayer only works if you do it. You see what he says? He says, prayer has great power as it is working. Prayer works when you pray. Prayer doesn't work when you don't pray. So here's how many of us can be. Imagine this scenario. Imagine that you've got this awesome, brand new chainsaw sitting in your garage. And somebody's like, man, that's an amazing chainsaw. And you say, doesn't work. Doesn't cut down trees. It just sits in the garage. Doesn't do anything. Like, wow, it looks like a brand new chainsaw. It looks like it would work. I don't know. Hasn't done anything. 
they start asking you more and more questions. They realize you've never put gas in it. You've never put oil in it. You've never started it. It doesn't work because you've never used it. And maybe God hasn't answered our prayers because we aren't praying. Maybe God isn't raising up sick people out of their bed because we're not calling the elders of the church and having them anoint them with oil. Maybe we're not experiencing deliverance from our sinful habits because we're not bringing those to our connection groups or into our friendships and asking people to pray for us and seeing God release us from those things. Maybe if we would pray, God would hear us and we would begin to see him do amazing things in our midst. James is saying, I dare you. I want you to experience this power. And you have to get beyond your misconceptions. And you just have to believe. So he says prayer is necessary. Prayer is powerful. Then the text takes an interesting turn. He seems to be talking about prayer and then he almost seems to change the subject. And warn us of the danger of wondering. Verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So here's the question. Is it true that James was talking about prayer and now he's taking a hard left turn and he's talking about something different? Or is he continuing the conversation about the same topic? Here's why I think he's continuing the same conversation. As we've read through James, we know that when he talks about wandering from the truth, he doesn't mean that you've changed your intellectual opinions. When James talks about believing the truth, he talks about what you say you believe intellectually and what you are doing in your life being in lockstep with each other. So he is saying to stop praying is to wander from the truth. To fail to care for orphans and widows is to wander from the truth. To not guard your tongue is to wander from the truth. And like the old song says, all of us are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have this tendency to drift away from true religion that is, at its essence, a relationship with God, where prayer is as essential to that relationship as breathing is to our physical life. And we turn it into something else. And James is saying, have you wandered from the truth? Have you wandered away from this relationship with God? I'm not talking about what you've done for God. I'm not talking about 
your spiritual disciplines and started going through the motions of those things, I'm saying, have you prayed? Honest prayers. Have you been in a relationship with God where you're not hiding from him, but you're exposing yourself in all of your ugliness and hurt and happiness to him? Are you sharing your life with him? Here's what he's basically saying. We need this Christianity thing to be super simple. We can't handle it being complex. We get confused. We're hearing messages week in and week out. We're reading our own Bibles. We're going to connection group. But we've also got all the cares of the world and we've got our jobs and we've got school and we've got kids and we've got a spouse and we've got our in-laws and we've got all that going on. And we need this Christianity thing to be super simple. And here's what James is saying. I got this from this movie. It's called Sergeant York. Um, but one of the main things that's said in, in Sergeant York is, uh, is aim small, miss small. Here's the, here's the context. So the movie's about this guy named Alvin York, and he was a World War I hero. It's played by Gary Cooper. Really good movie. Made in like 1940. And, uh, and basically, he's told when you shoot a gun, when you're hunting, that you should aim small if you aim small, you'll miss small. So you want to pick a really, 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 really tiny target. And then if you miss that target, you'll just miss by a little bit. You won't miss by a lot. But if you pick a giant target, then you're going to miss by a whole lot if you miss that one. And what James is saying is, aim at intimacy with Jesus. Aim really small. Just cultivate a real relationship with Jesus. And what you'll find is that everything else in your Christian life will fall into place. So here's the question. How can we be assured that if we come to Jesus, he won't push us away? That he'll accept us? That he'll hear our prayers? that he'll listen to us, that he won't run and hide when we tell him about our real selves. And that's because Jesus knows what it means to pray. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what he prayed. Abba, Father. Most intimate possible thing you can say to God. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus comes to God the Father in his moment of deepest need. And God said no to him. God said no. You have to go to the cross. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? He went to the cross to take away our shame, to take away our brokenness, to give us access to the Father. 
so that in our hour of deepest need, God will not pull away from us. He will not condemn us because Jesus was condemned for us. And so we can know that everything is possible for God, that he hears our prayers, that he loves us, and that he will not push us away. And because of that, we can come to him.